Hey, well, thanks for being here. This is Kevin Conover, and um, you're on Educate for Life Radio. We're down here in Southern California. Uh, frequently, I broadcast from the studio, the K-Praise Studios, down here in San Diego, KPRC. We're on FM 106.1 in North County, as well as K-Praise 1210 AM uh, every weekend here. And I've interviewed uh, hundreds of guests all over uh, the world talking about how God has influenced their lives and how God is using them to influence the lives of those around them. And my website is educateforlife.org. You can check it out. There's a full systematic apologetics curriculum. We go through everything you can possibly imagine. If you're interested in studying more and learning apologetics, which is a defense of the Christian faith. And I'm really happy to have on the show today, Dr. Joe Miller. And uh, Joe Miller is uh, his website is um, uh, oh, I'm blanking. You had it. More than cake.org. You had it. More than cake.org. <laughs> Too much going on in your head. I was about to say eatcake.org or something like that. <laughs> no, more than cake.org. Uh, and uh, yeah. Joe and I actually, although we we haven't crossed paths too often, you were right across the street from me at uh, Southern California Seminary for 10 years. Yeah, yeah. We weren't far apart, you know. Yeah. So that, that's a shame we never connected. But, you know, Joe, um, what we're talking about today and what I think a lot of people are interested in, I'm very interested in the subject, is critical race theory. And uh, yeah. why don't we just start off with a bang here? What What is critical race theory? Oh, man. Yeah, <laughs> it, it sounds like an easy question, right? What is it? Um, you know, so critical race theory, uh, I mean, there's nailing down definitions is, is challenging to some degree, but it's basically a, it's a, it's a system of ideas and thoughts. I wouldn't say it's a full-blown worldview uh, because there's a lot of different ways people come at it. But it's a system of ideas and thoughts that people are using to try to analyze what they see as uh, racial discrimination and uh, institutionalized racism and uh, how would we overcome it. I mean, that's the goal of it, at least. That's what it's trying to do and overcome. Now, how they do that's another question, but that's essentially what it is. It's a tool that's uh, rooted in sort of a secular naturalist worldview for the most rooted in that worldview for the most part although there are some theistic people that have that share critical race theory ideas uh, and, and they're trying to solve that issue now you're involved in you've been involved in uh, ministry on college campuses and i imagine this is where this is a really critical issue to be knowledgeable yeah. about because when yeah. it comes to when it comes to apologetics you know it's interesting because you know i've been teaching apologetics for about 12 years and i try to cover all the different issues that kids are going to run into as they're heading off to college and doing these different things. And we cover things like, you know, how do we know the Bible is the word of God? What about creation? What about yeah. evolution? All these subjects. But what's really front and center now in a really big way, in, in a way, it, I don't know if it's ever been in my life, lifetime with yeah. BLM and everything, is the whole issue of race, racism, um, and this sort of thing. Yeah. And so what you're looking at here is, okay, there's a biblical approach to dealing with the issue of race, and but the, yeah. the, there's another approach critical race theory that's trying yes. to deal from a secular perspective with racial issues. How are they in conflict? How are the biblical view and yeah. the secular view in conflict? Okay. Yeah. That's where we get, that's where we get into, you start to get into the nuts of the bolts of this thing and that's where it is. And I think you're right. I think moral apologetics is really where the, the, uh, the train is going right now. Um, you know, the apologetics of, what we've done for years and a lot of us in different contexts are still valuable, but uh, you know, the moral apologetics, how do we deal with these cultural social issues from a Christian worldview are really coming into, we're seeing the need for that mostly because it's been neglected in the church. Mm -hmm. And so the conflict is, is pretty, uh, pretty severe, I think. 
uh, in approaches. And, and I think there's four key facets, and I'll at least give those, and then we, you can decide whether, how, which you want to dive into or how you want to jump in differently to these. So I think there's four different things that they do differently. One is critical race theory uh, is grounded in what's called a, a, a epistemological idealism. That is, truth is found in the experience of a certain group of people who we'll call the oppressed. Mm. Okay, so they have a certain access to truth that others don't have. And then the second would be um, the idea that I ideology, all ideology really is some sort of oppression. And the way that works out for CRT, critical race theory, is that Western civilization is this sort of form of white hegemonic power. It's this white power system that keeps non-whites oppressed. And so ideology itself, though, is this oppressive force about, and it's all about power and control. Oh, interesting. Third, yeah. Can, the th oh, Can I ask you a quick question about yeah, that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because this, this is interesting to me because, you know, I, I teach a, a section on the racial issues with mm -hmm. my 12th grade uh, students. And uh, one of the things that's been popping up, you know, and, and I'm sure you're well aware of this, is that there's this idea out there that you can't be racist unless you're in the majority. The minority can't be racist. Correct. Um, and so when you say, uh, you know, critical race theory is looking at it as the oppressed have a knowledge that mm -hmm. the non-oppressed don't have. And uh, you see this, uh, um, you know, whether it's in the news, whether it's on clips that we're seeing all over the internet, where somebody essentially says, because you are not a member of the oppressed, you have no, you have no, you can't even talk about this issue. Yeah. Um, is, that, is that right? Yeah, that's, that's a lot of where that's coming in. I remember, now this has been around forever, man. When I was doing my undergrad, I was doing it uh, at Penn State University. Uh, I was an engineering student back in the day. But I remember we used to go to this public spot where you could have dialogue and, you know, all these issues. And uh, there was a guy that, you know, when I first heard this idea that, well, he's like, well, all white people are the devil. All white people are evil. And I said, well, that's racism. And he said, no, because, you know, because only white people can be racist. And I was like, you know, back in there, what the heck? How is that possible? But it becomes because critical race theory, yeah, because – uh, true, the, the way we access knowledge is through certain groups who are of the oppressed class have this unique perspective that only they have this certain access to this uh, knowledge. And so that's the first key. The second key is that uh, racism is really about institutional uh, abuses and power imbalance. Mm. So even if you are numerically in the majority, so, but if you are non-white, so if you have, if there's a hundred people in the room and 98 are, you know, African-American and two are white, uh, only the white people could be racist, even though there's numerically more, even though they're technically not a minority numerically, but they would be considered a m minority in that the systems of power are, are all hedged against them because those were created by white people. Therefore, only whites can be racist. Okay. So um, if you're in another country if you're somewhere in like South America or something, or you're in Africa where there's a dominant majority that is uh, not white, um, does that still hold or is this like a global thing? Yeah. So that's where you get into, um, you know, that's where you get into, a, you're pointing out one of the challenges that, that CRT people have to answer a question that they have to answer that they don't really answer very well. It only works within our context and our cultural framework but not others. Uh, and so, uh, you know, they have ways around it. That's why they emphasize, you hear a lot of discussion of 
you know, ending Western colonialism. Mm. So they'll say, yes, there's racism in India, but that's only because they were colonized by, you know, England. And so therefore all these white power structures were adopted into their systems. So yes, there's racism, but it's still the white Western world's fault. So, you know, they'll find ways to get through that, even if it was, even if it wasn't a colony, even if it wasn't, there's still ways to do it. But ultimately, it's sort of like this special pleading where they're creating these sort of specialized answers, or these ad hoc solutions to this problem. So would you say that this movement, the CRT movement, and um, has a lot of uh, fallacies when it comes to, you know, logic and these sorts of things? Would you say there's a lot of flaws in the, in the theory? Um, well, I think... I think that there are within, because CRT is now, let me back up just a little bit and say this. Critical theory is sort of the, the great grandfather, so to speak, or maybe the grandfather of critical race theory. And critical theory, uh, going back, you know, 60, 70, now 70 so years ago, um, you know, into the early part of the 20th century, was more of a full-blown world, naturalist, materialist worldview. Mm. And so I think within that system of critical theory, there were certainly massive conflicts with the Christian worldview, but it's, there's probably a little bit more of a coherence in terms of the logic of it. Mm -hmm. Critical theory is sort of took some of that neo-Marxist ideas from critical theory, but then it meshed in like postmodern ideas and other thoughts. So because it's not a full-blown worldview, it's sort of these piecemeal approach. Yes, there's a lot of conflicts internally, but most of that doesn't bother the people who embrace it because because it's more of a postmodern, you know, truth is synthetic. You know, we're, we're, we, you and I come together, we agree upon stuff, and I can hold one truth here that conflicts with there, but I don't see a problem with that. So, yeah, to somebody inside, they wouldn't see them as logical fallacies. Matter of fact, because logic, they say, is, a, is a w one form of Western oppression. Oh. So if you try to use logic, that's because you're an oppressor class and you're trying to oppress them. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, that's a no win yeah. situation. It is a very challenging one because, uh, in the conversation I, I've been having with folks, um, you know, I, I'll give you the shortcut version in terms of what I've kind of come to realize is even when I'm talking to people who are otherwise brothers and sisters in Christ, who are believers who have bought into these systems, I kind of feel like I'm in, um, a, a cultic deprogramming mode. Like, it, because I met a young guy who was only two weeks being introduced to these concepts. And I said, wait a second, but you know, aren't there problems here? And I was trying to just, I mean, very mild, like, do you see any problems with critical race theory? And he said, Oh, well, you're only reacting that way out of fear. And he already knew to, ch you know, I couldn't have a legitimate concern. I couldn't yeah. have whatever it was. I was being fearful. I was being, you know, I'm, I'm not, aware of my own biases and he all knew the buzzwords to dismiss any challenge I had oh, wow. even to ask him a question. Yeah. That's so interesting. Very, that you would call that, um, uh, you know, taking somebody out of an, out of a cult. Uh, like you said that, that because that is typical of a cult to have ways to essentially divert any kind of challenge to the, uh, the worldview. Yeah. That's, that's the challenge. And again, I mean, when I'm having discussions with folks, I'm saying, hey, we're in a cult. That's not the apologetic approach, no, but I'm just letting, yeah, you and your viewers know that as you're dealing with this, there will be massive moments of frustration because yeah. Uh, yeah. it is very much a, uh, a cult-like uh, approach to that has easy ways of out of hand dismissing anything, that any challenges you might have. Mm, interesting. Well, for those of you listening, um, 
My guest today is Dr. Joe Miller, morethancake.org. You can check out his website. He's got all kinds of resources, tons of videos up that you can check out and get informed on um, on a variety of different issues, uh, which we're going to be touching on a few of those during the program today. My name is Kevin Conover, and my website is educateforlife.org. We've got all kinds of resources up there also for you to be able to check out. Um, but uh, Joe, you know, when we're uh, dealing with this issue and, you know, you're bumping up against this, where is it that this is most often something you're going to run into? Where do you see this popping up, critical race theory popping up? I know it's on campus. You work with Ratio Christi, is that right? Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm a campus director for Ratio Christi. I started actually that in March, so pretty new to that. But uh, yeah, so working with and college would you say students. that the campuses are the, are the primary hotbed for something like critical race theory? So here's, here's one of those reasons why this is such a challenge. This is, these, the principles that undergird this, um, a lot of the assumptions, the, the, the dogma that kind of sits underneath all of this, even from people of very different worldviews, um, it's all been enmeshed in our education system, really from high school throughout college years. Mm. So by the time students are getting to college, uh, many of them have already been introduced to many of the, uh, the ideas from this and have bought into those, even though they could never name it as critical race theory or, you know, or even really you know, outline what uh, the ideas are. What are it's some just, of those ideas? Give us, give us some sure. like top three of those ideas that you're referencing. Sure. So uh, I think probably um, the idea of probably uh, justice, uh, the concepts of what constitutes justice, uh, being social political. In other words, uh, our our justice is constituted. How do we liberate those groups who are oppressed by taking power from these oppressor groups? And I think that's sort of uh, the practical side of that has consumed even the church and it's taught a lot. So for example, uh, you have, uh, if you look at the debate between women in ministry and men in ministry, okay, and, and I don't want to take a position there, I'm just saying, if you look at that debate and discussion, often it's framed as, hey, women have not had power, we need to have power, we want a seat at the table, we want to have power with men. So it's a fight over power, okay? And so everything is seen as a fight over who has power. But the gospel itself is not about power. It's a matter of fact, even those in leadership and there's such a thing as right authority, but we're not, but those in authority are uh, almost handing over power because that's what Christ did. Christ mm. modeled this idea of sacrificing. He had the power to do great things, but he laid aside his power so that he might serve. So he was the humble, you know, a humble servant, right? He was servant the leadership. Yeah, that servant leadership approach. Even, even So that's really one of those challenges where you'll see it most often is in, con in discussions of power uh, and control, even in church contexts where it's always about, hey, well, men have power, women don't, or whites have it and blacks don't, or you name it. It's always these power struggles, power struggles. That's really that, interesting. Yeah. So that's yeah. probably one of the most dominant themes. So um, the biblical approach to that, when you're talking about, you know, Christ gave up power, I mean, even a, even a man in a household, when we come, when we approach from, because uh, you hear, you'll hear this, the white paternal, uh, you, you know, the white uh, patriarchy, patriarchy kind of stuff. Yeah. White, white, white patriarchy. Um, and the, the truth is, is that as a father um, and as a husband, I'm supposed to lay down my, my life for mm -hmm. my wife and my children. Um, yeah. I'm leading them true, but I'm serving them, uh, yeah. leading them by serving them. Um, 
So how, how do you respond to that? Uh, I mean, can you expand a little bit on, on your response? What sure. the biblical view versus critical race theory when it comes to power? Yeah. So, yeah, again, going back to their framework, they see everything as every system is ultimately tends towards oppression. There's no system that isn't ultimately oppressive. And this goes back to sort of their, the, the neo-Marxist, you know, Marxist roots where, you know, uh, there's always this system in power. There's the, you know, there's a thesis. Then there's this counter thesis like, hey, we need to overcome that power. So we come together, we find a way to subvert that power. But now there's a new system. And by definition, all systems that have, you know, are, are ruling, are, are oppressive. So we need a new counter system to come over, take that. So there's always constant revolution, always throwing this over. Well, that and seems so, like a recipe for always being unsatisfied. Correct. And so for us as believers, what we have to realize is that when, we're, when we hear these ideas of, you know, overthrowing white systems of power or changing institutional racism or systemic racism, what is always meant by that is overthrowing the systems to import a new system. But by definition, there is never any system that won't be oppressive at some point. There's no hope of reconciliation within that system. Oh. So if you are, a, because you're white and because you're a part, even if you oppose racism, racism as a white guy, it doesn't matter because you're still part of the system. And so because you're always a part of that system, the only way Kevin Conover can, uh, you can do it is to give up all power, to give up all control, and to, to you know, resign your positions, to, mm. you know, become somewhere else and let somebody else take the power and control. And this but, is interesting yeah. because... This results in the abdication of good, healthy leadership, uh, yeah. potentially, because with the whole kneeling, with the whole, yeah. um, I'm, I'm, by the nature of my, the color of my skin, I'm guilty, therefore, I'll step down, and I'll let somebody else step in, who's not necessarily qualified to yeah. actually do a good job of, of uh, serving and uh, governing. Yeah, and so we've seen that happen in a, there's a student government in a university up uh, back in the Northeast just a few weeks ago, and the president and the vice president uh, were both uh, non-white folks who were voted in by the whole student body of the university, but they stepped down and said, hey, we have to give up our power so that we can fight this, fight racism. This is the only way we can do it. Mm -hmm. So it didn't matter that they would maybe be in a position to say, hey, we want to put policies in because the system itself is rooted in racism, white people need to all give up power and give that over to non-whites so that new systems can be created, a total revolution. But here's the problem. Even for them giving up those positions of power, they still are part of the oppressive system. So they're still racist. They're still oppressive. They still, there's nothing they could ever do to achieve uh, a, a right relationship. Nobody can have a relationship because we're always divided by the fight and struggle for power. And so for Christians, we have to realize that as we are in the, engaged in this debate, we have to ask, ask this simple question, apologetically saying, what's the goal? You know, to your CRT friends that are saying this, what, what's the end game? What, mm -hmm. what do you hope to accomplish by XYZ, whatever it is you're proposing? But you'll see that what they don't have is a way for healing, reconciliation, and loving one another because it can't happen. Uh, matter of fact, that's seen as a negative. So for example, in the church, if you have a, a, you know, a racially or ethnically diverse church, if you have a church that says, you know, 30% white and 
black and, you know, 20%, you know, just down the, the, the line. You know, hey, yeah. we're really an integrated racially, hey, we're a diverse church. I have friends who have, you know, these CRT friends who will say, well, that actually is a hurdle to ending racism because you, because you're white, you think that because you have an integrated church that somehow that that, that solves the problem. Somehow because you have a brother and sister in Christ that somehow that makes it okay. And so these are actually hurdles. So integration and diversity are actually in many contexts seen as a hurdle to overcoming systemic racism. What, so what, we're, how, I, I'm, I'm confused on that. How, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah, you, I know. <laughs> what do you mean it's a hurdle? You mean this, it's a, integration is actually a problem? Yeah, because here's the, here's the thinking behind that. Because, okay, so because say, okay, I, I pastored the last church I, I planted. Um, I, we were 51% non-white, you know, I mean, we, we, we were a pretty diverse church, but I, but the idea is that though, because we're a part of society that is controlled by white power systems and white structures. So whether that's, um, you know, the constitution or whether that's just simply the idea of our economic structures, all of those are rooted in racism. So it doesn't matter what locally I have within my church body. If I think that somehow that diversity is a somehow ended racism, then I'm a part of the problem, not a part of the solution. So I'll give you another example. A friend of mine years ago, whenever the, there was a church down in South Carolina and that white guy came in, a white supremacist dude came in, it was a black, historic black church, and he came in, sat down for Bible study, and shot all the black parishioners in that study. I don't know if you remember that I remember happening. that, yeah. I remember yeah. that. And I posted, like many others on Facebook, hey, I'm praying for my brothers and sisters who are suffering and harming. You know, I pray the Holy Spirit bring them comfort. I had, again, CRT friends who would post on their, posting on their walls, uh, if you are a white Christian, don't call them brothers and sisters in Christ. Because by calling them a brother and sister, you are you are keeping us from recognizing the true systems of racial injustice in our world. So in other words, the idea of Christian brotherhood is a hurdle to what CRT defines as racism. And so what is there? What it, uh, you know, for those of you listening again, uh, my guest is Dr. Joe Miller. You can check him out at morethancake.org. We're discussing uh, this issue, critical race theory, because this has become so prevalent. I, I've never seen it like this ever before. Um, I've had numerous discussions now personally. I've had guests on the show, um, many uh, Christian uh, black brothers on the show who I've had discussions with about what's happening with BLM and, you know, the connections to Marxism, to communism, to these sorts of things. Uh, we are in a heated uh, cultural war, and I would, I would say spiritual war in our country, in which we really need to understand what in the world is going on. Where is this coming from? And so, uh, what is the goal for that person? Like BLM, for example, would you say that their uh, fundamental philosophy, Joe, is is critical race theory? Is that where they're operating from? Yeah. So Black Lives Matter specifically, uh, their leadership has said, yes, we are you know trained Marxists. So they are true Marxists in their approach. Not all critical race theory are pure Marxists in that sense. But yes, they would embrace critical race theory from their Marxist worldview and use it to overthrow, again, overthrow all power systems. So when they say it, what they really mean is uh, capitalism must be abolished. Um, you know, any vestiges of 
British common law would be all anything that has a Western roots. I mean, ironically, I mean the fact that Hegel and Marx and uh, Feuerbach and all the thinkers who have come up, who are the foundational thinkers behind critical theory, are white Western people. That doesn't seem to matter. But yeah, we're extremely <laughs> racist ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. So, so they yeah. were extremely racist, but 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 they don't. What do they? Are they aware of that foundation of where that's coming from? The the BLM people are for sure. Yeah, I mean they're they're they so embrace how they, that. How do they justify the idea that they're supporting a philosoph a philosophy that came from people who were racist towards blacks? I have, I, you know, it's one of those things that just you you can't find any straight answer. They'd say, well, that was in the past. Those systems have been overthrown. We're we're because again, they're instituting in their mind a new system. So they don't have mm. to say they don't have to be subject to the history. History doesn't even matter. That's why mm -hmm. because remember in so it's sort of this Hegelian dialectic. You know, Hegel was this philosopher guy that said, you know, there's thesis, antithesis, synthesis. So history is this process of, you know, here's one idea, here's a new idea. Now let's synthesize a new truth, a new reality. So the fact yeah. that there's yeah. these corrupt histories in the name of Marxist whatever are irrelevant because we're so many generations past that, we're giving the new counter thesis to that so that we can have a new synthesis for our new reality that won't be related to that at all. So that's how philosophically they would just discount it as meaningless. Okay. Now, um, so, so it seems to me that when you, want, when you say, hey, I want to overthrow capitalism, um, I mean, we're talking about, we're talking about places like that employ, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. We're talking about things like Google. We're talking about things like yeah. uh, Walmart. We're talking about things that everybody uses. So how in the world can this gain any traction is what I want to know is like everybody who, who looks at this must think, well, this is insane. You want to just tear down everything. You basically just want to destroy the world, uh, destroy our country. How, how has it gained any traction? Yeah, you know, here's the thing is, ironically, Marx, you know, talked about, uh, Marx, Lenin, those guys talked about, you know, the people that were sort of the useful idiots. Uh, you know, religion was the opiate of the people. These sort of things where he's very disparaging towards average people who, who uh, he, could, he felt could be easily manipulated into doing whatever needed to be done, whether good or bad, but uh, for in, his, in his view. But um, I think the, the reality is that most people don't see it that way because they're not, you know, they're saying, well, hey, I don't believe that, you know, all capitalism is bad. I'm just saying that there's this systemic injustice. I see racial injustice and I want to solve that. So there's an issue that people care about and should care about that has harmed people. There's been injustice towards uh, blacks historically. I mean, all these things we could acknowledge. And so they say there's truth there. They think, hey, this is just the way we can resolve it, and I think we should resolve it. So you're opposed to, you know, eliminating racism, and it's it's really that simple for most people. Is like racism bad, this opposing good. So if you oppose this system, then you are bad. Uh, but people aren't thinking too deeply past that. Mm. Yeah, and that's been a lot of my experience. Is um, okay. So there's kind of this mixture of uh, Christianity with with um critical race theory yeah and it seems to be uh in a sense seeping into the churches i mean uh what what do we have to watch out for as christians you know mm. going to church and and hearing people talk what should be we, we be aware of that's actually 
anti-biblical, but in a sense, sounds good. You know, yeah. sounds like, yeah, that's a good thing, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've, I've seen it in my own sphere of influence that I have people talking about, um, you know, just a, a bunch of things that are, that are in the news that they're like, yeah, we've got to stop this injustice. But um, for me, there's something that's not vibing there. There's something that mm-hmm. seems anti-biblical in a sense. Yeah, Does that make sense what I'm saying? Oh, for sure. Absolutely. What, yeah, so what I, I don't think it's. Out for? Yeah, I don't think it's. Uh, I don't think critical race theory CRT is. We can't syncretize that with our faith. They, they have. They observe rightly that there is injustice in the world. That it's some of that's individual, like some individuals are racist. That systems themselves can be corrupted by racism. But outside of observing uh, a few, uh, you know, those observations of uh, what's wrong, their diagnosis of how it's wrong or why it's wrong and their prognosis for how to solve it are completely antithetical to uh, biblical Christianity. So mm. I would say for people, um, if you're listening, your pastor is talking about, it, if they start throwing around any of this terminology, I wouldn't say that they bought into it, but it would be a, a red flag to say, hey, maybe I need to have a conversation. So if they're using terms like, um, you know, institutional racism or systemic racism, again, what do they mean by that? Uh, you know, it, some of those definitions could be compatible, are compatible with, with our Christian way Christians view the world, but often they're not, you know, most of the time they're not. So if they're using those terms, institutional racism, systemic racism, if they use terms like whiteness, uh, white privilege, white fragility, if you're hearing any of those words, you want to have a conversation with your pastor and say, well, what are you reading that's giving you those things? And what do those things mean? Uh, and if so, they're citing certain authors who are CRT authors, uh, uh, like, uh, you know, just, you know, some of those names, then you want to probably uh, go a little deeper in those conversations. So you're, um, so the word systemic racism, institutionalized racism, um, white privilege. I mean, these are used very frequently yes. among uh, certain groups of Christians. I mean, it's, it, it's very common and it's seen as a, obvious thing so you're saying that's actually from crt yeah exactly well yeah the way the i mean obviously the idea that institutions could be corrupted by sin jesus talked about that yeah i mean you know <laughs> the you know the pharisees were an as an institution were corrupted by sin so yeah. the, if that's what we mean by it then that's fine but they don't mean just that so for example terms like whiteness can mean uh can mean uh, race, you know, racial injustice. They could mean white supremacy, but they also just simply mean white majority. So again, if there's a majority, you know, nine out of 10 people are white, then that is whiteness. That is racism. Uh, if, but they also define Christianity as a form of whiteness. So Christianity itself is a part of the systemic racism that needs to be stamped out. And this is where Christians are not getting it. Uh, the idea of, heteronormativity, the idea that heterosexuality, male and female being normative, mm-hmm. is considered a part of the oppressive structure of whiteness, which is by definition also racism. So it's because all the terms mean end up meaning very much the same thing as you go through and define them, you know. So I see, yeah. So, so you know, I mean, people even are BLM, picking the definition that's comfortable for them. Oh, it means institutions could do bad stuff. Yes, but that's not all that's meant. And so we have to be very careful. Because they do have very, they do have very specific ideology. They have very specific yeah. uh, thoughts in that regard. Um, I mean, BLM 
has on their website, at least they did at one time, I don't know if they still do, but uh, that they're opposed to the nuclear family, that yeah. that is a sign of uh, institutionalized exactly. racism. Exactly. The instant, you know, nuclear family, mother, father, kids, uh, like the idea of there's only, you know, male and female sex as opposed to infinite, you know, spectrum of gender and gender fluidity, transgender. If you don't embrace those, that's all a part of your trying to force this oppressive, you know, ideology on the world. And that's why Christianity is a part of that white oppressive power structure and Christianity has to also be uh, overthrown in, in, in how it works. Yeah. Well, so you would have, is, you, you would, you would think that pastors would be well aware that, okay, well, if this is completely the opposite of what the Bible is teaching here. So, yeah. Um, yeah. But and here's why they're not though. This is, this is the thing. Pastors for a long time have had, um, very facile understanding of the gospel and a very facile understanding of the culture. It's very superficial, you know, because it's all very, uh, a, you know, uh, populist thinking for a lot of people. And so they're just, you know, they listen to, they hear the phrase Black Lives Matter, which has political value, but as an organ, but they don't, they don't think more deeply by, well, hey, I want to say that I value black people. What's wrong with that? Sure. And so they say, well, sure. I mean, this organization has these other things, but, but, but this phrase, it's, it's uh, so much value. It's like, okay, well, it, it may have value, but you have to realize what you're signaling to people when you use those phrases is something very different than you even might want to align yourself with. You don't get to, get to control. You're not controlling the narrative or, how, or the perception, even though you're using these words to try to prove to everybody you care. And that you, mm. So we have to have new ways to do it in different ways that are gospel focused as opposed to culturally predicated, you know, politically motivated ways that, that ultimately undermine the gospel. Uh, morethancake.org uh, is Joe Miller's website. Joe, so um, if people want to support you uh, and, you, you know, you've got all kinds of resources on there, yeah. tell us a little bit about More Than Cake. Where did you come up with that name? <laughs> years ago, I, I, I did that name, oh, man, more than a decade or so ago, I don't know, 20 years ago. Uh, you know, it's this idea of Marie Antoinette, you know, whenever the people in the French were starving and, you know, bread was the source of sustenance and there wasn't enough, you know, resources so she said she never said it but the idea was she said let them eat cake so cake was the alternative to bread but cake is a confection it's sugary it makes you feel good uh like you're full but it doesn't give you nutrition right yeah and i felt like the church uh was offering nothing uh offering only cake from our from our pulpits and our theology and i wanted to offer the church more than cake more than something that made us feel good in our little tummies but something that would be nutrition, you know, yeah. the solid food of the gospel. Something to help us, help us yeah. to grow. Yeah, so I, I've got a bunch. I've got several videos that I've produced on this. So a, a quick intro, a very short intro to what critical theory itself is, these four facets of critical race theory, which we, you know, I mean, great conversation. We didn't get to all four, so people need to know all four. I have one on whiteness. I have a few more coming. Uh, what, is the, think, what is the third one and the fourth one, the third and fourth? Sure. So the third one is the idea that individuality is really incidental uh, in critical race theory. So by contrast, uh, critical theory itself under these sort of Marxist, neo-Marxist ideas, individuality doesn't even exist. It's a fiction. It's a fantasy. There is no such thing as the individual. It's only the corporate. It's only the state that exists. 
for critical race theory, it's more the individuality as well. It may exist, but it's not really, it's secondary uh, to uh, the, the group that you identify with. So rights are conferred based on your group status. That's why only, you know, a certain skin color can be racist or not racist uh, because it depends on your status in a group. Uh, that's why this is uh, what people call identity politics. Yeah, identity politics is sort of a down that line. Um, it's why it's why a white uh, it's why a white woman can go up to a black cop and call him the N word and tell him he's a racist and he is you know give him the finger and yell at him uh, and not be a racist because she's speaking against the system that he's a part of. So that individual cop has no rights even though he's black because because he's a part of the wrong system the oppressive system his identity is bound up in that he can be his rights can be trampled on because they don't exist it's very uh problematic so that's the so, third one that's yeah. really interesting to me also because from a biblical perspective would you say that god emphasizes the individual over a group because we, we do know that the bible does emphasize uh collective <laughs> yeah absolutely so, so break that down for us. What that the individual, the biblical view of the individual, right, versus what critical race theory is doing, which is placing you with a particular group. Yeah, this is one of the reasons why the church has been so vulnerable to this, and this will appeal, I know, to some of the what you've talked with your students and others about. I think long ago, when the church started to get into these ideas of theistic evolution, um, we started to lose ground on what makes us uniquely human. Where is our identity grounded? You see the thing behind me, the Imago Dei. Yeah. Uh, on my shirt, I wear the Hebrew Betzalem Elohim from uh, Genesis 127, in the image of God. Mm. And these are, these are actually things I make, shirts I made, uh, you know, selling these, trying to like, here's our messages, the alternative to what the political message is that we see I around love it. us. Yeah. As opposed to even all lives matter as a political message, it's not one of, un of being. Um, and so I don't like any of those things. Um, so what, by doing that, though, what we've lost ground of by buying into theistic evolution is we've lost the sense of being made in the image of God. It's it's a much trickier thing to identify. And so we can't define it as well. And so we've lost ground here and there. And over time, what's happened is we've bought into this idea that the group determines our rights and privileges, which is key. But for the Christian, our identity, our primary identity is always in that we are created in the image of God and we bear the identity of our maker. And yes, there are such a thing as, you know, skin color and cultures and all these things that create, a, you know, categories of people, but those are secondary to our ultimate identity in Christ, in, mm -hmm. in, in creation, but then also in Christ. Who... Christ breaks down those dividing walls of culture. So yes, there is discrimination based on group identity, but Christ has broken down those things so he could restore us to the place of being in the image of God. And mm -hmm. so those things still exist in our world, so we can speak out against those systems of injustice that we see, but not because people are primarily identified with a group, but because primarily we identify in the image of God, but also being restored into the Im that image through the work of Jesus Christ. So that's our pathway to undermining those corrupt systems that we see. And so as the church, we have to recognize that, yes, we have a, our identity as a family, as the household of God, uh, and not of the households of the world, that 
you know, are often corrupt and oppressive. Oh yeah. But, but that identity as a being a brothers and sisters of Christ is the pathway to overcoming oppression and healing racial reconciliation. Critical theory sees that as a path that blocks true overcoming of oppression. So even the Christians say, well, identifying it, like I said earlier, as a brother and sister in Christ, well, that's, a, that's an obstacle to a coming, overcoming world, these systems of oppression. That's because a radical they see, step. They see Christianity as oppressive. Yeah, yeah. Or a tool yeah. to oppress. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and whereas uh, uh, the Bible is very clear, there is no Jew or Greek, there is no slave or free, there is no male or female, we're all one in Christ, yeah. which like you said, it, it, it erases those boundaries and helps yeah. us to... And this is where we have to be careful when we say that though. And, and this is where we need to learn from the dialogue with those who have embraced CRT. So when, when, when Jesus, you know, when the scripture tells us that we're, you know, these things, you know, neither male nor female, Jew nor free, slave or whatever, we're all one in Christ. It's not speaking, it's not saying that those things don't exist. So to say, oh, I don't see color or I don't see race, that's not really true. That's not, it's not saying we become blind to the realities of a world that uses those things to categorize and oppress. It's yeah. saying that those things don't become our primary identity through which we you know can have relationship so yes. primarily our identity of relationship is now through this new one through christ but i recognize that a world that's broken those things still control perceptions maybe even my own and i have to overcome my own you know biases and my yeah. own bigotry that i was raised in that that made me uh, sort of numb to what really could be happening that is harmful to people that are you know not of my background yeah yeah well that's fantastic uh morethancake.org if you guys want to learn more about uh dr joe miller and his ministry and what he's doing if you'd like to support what he's doing um it's awesome stuff and, and like he, like you said it's it's deeper it's the solid meat that we need it's not the milk it's moving beyond um what makes you feel good to what is good so um i really encourage you to check that out uh joe i really appreciate you taking the time to be on the program today and Hopefully we can do a follow-up program because I think there's a lot more to this than what yeah. we've covered just now. So Yeah, next time in studio, brother. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> Lord willing, it'll happen. I know life is crazy for all of us, but man, that uh, so much more fun to face-to-face. -to -face it is. <laughs> Amen. Amen to that. I can't wait to get back to, uh, hopefully, uh, you know, we get over this crazy stuff. And once the election happens, a lot of people are saying this will diminish. So <laughs> I hope it's true. <laughs> Amen we'll see. Uh, you, okay. Brother. God bless you, Joe. Thanks a lot. For all you that have been with us today, uh, morethancake.org. My website is educateforlife.org. Uh, you can check it out. All kinds of resources available to you so that you can become equipped to be able to be salt and light to the people around you and really have an influence for Christ in their life. And uh, I've, God bless you. I hope you have a fantastic weekend and um, that you're blessed. Stay safe and walk with the Lord. Take care. We'll see you next time. See you, Joe.